In this recording, we're going to discuss a very fundamental and problematic question with Makas Bechoros, the plague of the firstborn, which was the last of the ten plagues in Egypt when Hashem swept through and killed all of the firstborns, finally forcing Paro to free the Jews. So the Abar Benel raises a very fundamental issue with this whole story, and we'll see a number of solutions and hopefully get some better insight into this plague. The Abar Benel's question appears in his commentary on the Haggadah called Zevach. Pesach, and at the beginning he lists a hundred questions that he's going to deal with throughout his commentary. So question 95 out of the hundred deals with a passage towards the end of Magid, which quotes that Rabban Gamliel used to say that there are three major themes that must be discussed at the Seder, which are Pesach, Matzah, and Maror, and then he proceeds to explain each of them. So Pesach, which is a reference to the Karban Pesach, Shehoyu Avuseinu Ochlim Izman Mikdash Kayim Rabbi Gamliel says, why do we have a Karban Pesach? What is the reason for this mitzvah? And he explains, The reason is because when Hashem swept through killing the firstborns in Egypt on that last night, he skipped over, that's what the word Pesach means, he skipped over the homes of the Jews and he left the Jewish firstborns alive. And the Torah says this, You should say this is the Pesach offering for Hashem, because he skipped over, he was Pesach, the homes of the Jews in Egypt. When he afflicted the Egyptians and he saved the Jews, and the Jews bowed in gratitude when they heard this. So basically, this theme comes directly from the Torah. It highlights the fact that at Makas Bechoros, Hashem killed the firstborn of the Egyptians, but spared the Jewish firstborns. And that's the explanation for the mitzvah of Karban Pesach to remember that great event. And the Haggadah picks up on this and insists that it's one of the three themes which must be mentioned at the Seder. Now, in addition to all this, and this is not mentioned at all in the Haggadah, but there are sources throughout the Torah that indicate that the firstborn of the Jews are sanctified precisely because Hashem saved them during Makas Bechoros. So later on in Sefer Shmos, in chapter 13, Pasuk Beis, when Hashem gives the command that the firstborn of the Jews, the people and the animals are sanctified, he says, Lihu, they belong to me. And Rashi explains, that Hashem is saying, I acquired the firstborns because I killed the firstborns in Egypt and I left them alive so they belong to me. So the same idea emerges from a number of places that the Jews should have also been affected by Makas Bechoros. The Jewish firstborns should have also died that night. And because they were miraculously spared by Hashem, so we have tremendous gratitude and we have to remember that through the Karban Pesach, as well as sanctifying the firstborns. Now, the Abar Benel raised an important question over here. And he said, why should the Jews have died in Makas Bechoros at all? First of all, they didn't do anything wrong. The Egyptians were being punished because they had enslaved the Jews and they refused to let them go. So therefore, they were getting all these 10 plagues. But the Jews did nothing wrong. So why would we ever think that the Jews would have been included in Makas Bechoros and that the Jewish innocent firstborns would have been killed? killed that night. There's no reason to have thought so to begin with. So there doesn't seem to be any great miracle that Hashem left them alive. 
And in addition to this, that was exactly the case with all of the 10 plagues. So we find that when it comes to the plague of blood, the Jews had water while the Egyptians didn't. In the plague of darkness, the Jews had light while the Egyptians didn't. In Dever, when the animals died, the Jews' animals did not die. So over and over again, throughout all of the nine first plagues, the Egyptians are afflicted and the Jews are spared. And yet we don't make a big deal about this when it comes to the other nine plagues. We don't have any special commemorations. We don't have special rituals. Only when it comes to Makas Bechoros, suddenly we start saying that the Jews deserved to be afflicted to die that night. And since they didn't, we have to commemorate it with the Karban Pesach. So why is this last 10th plague different than the earlier nine where the Jews were also not affected, even though the Egyptians were being punished and we don't make a big deal about it. But when it comes to Makas Bechoros, it is a big deal. And the assumption is that the Jews deserved to be punished, if not that Hashem had spared them. And Abar Benel concludes this question. He writes, This is a tremendous question. And Abar Benel was shocked. How could it be that none of the earlier commentators raised this question? So the Abar Benel suggests an approach to resolve this, and it's based on five pieces of information. The first is that everything in the natural world, in the world that we see, is connected in some way to some higher spiritual power in the heavens. So call it an angel, call it a constellation, but anything in the world which has the energy to do something is connected to some higher power. The second is that Mazel Tle, the constellation of Aries, which is the ram, is the most powerful of all the constellations, and the height of its power is the month of Nisan, around March and April time, which is when it is the constellation of that month. So Aries is the most powerful, and it reigns during the month of Nisan. Number three is that the Egyptians worshipped the constellation of Aries. The Torah says that the Egyptians worshipped animals, which is a reference to this constellation of Aries. Number four is that the Jews, when they were in Egypt, also started worshipping the constellation of Aries. We know that the Jews in Egypt were idol worshippers, so like their neighbors, the Egyptians, they were worshipping Mazel Tle Aries. Number five is that there's a basic difference between when Hashem does something in the world versus when he sends a messenger. When Hashem does something himself, it involves discernment. So he makes the decisions as to when to apply whatever he's doing and when to hold back. But when he sends a messenger to do it, so then the messenger, the angel, or whatever the force that Hashem has sent to do it, it just goes ahead and follows the rules like the laws of science or the laws of nature, but it doesn't make any decisions as to when to hold back and change the rules. So there's no discernment when something happens in the world through a messenger. Now, based on this, Dabar Benel explains what happened at Makas Bechoros. The Egyptians worshipped Ares, and because it's the most powerful and it's also the first of the constellations, because the year starts at Nisan, so specifically the firstborns of the Egyptians, whether from people or animals, were all set aside to be part of the worship of Ares. So there was a special connection between Ares and the Egyptians, and specifically with the firstborn of the Egyptians. Now the same was true of the Jews, because they also worshipped Ares. So the first Borns of the Jews were also especially connected with.
with this idol. Now, even though the Jews were idol worshippers, but they still continued to worship Hashem. So they were worshipping both Hashem as well as the idols because the Torah says that they prayed to Hashem when they were in distress. So you see that they continued to believe in Hashem alongside the idols. So now the Abarbanel explains the psukim in the Torah that tell how Hashem responded to their prayers that it's all based on their idol worship. Vayar Elohim has B'nai Yisrael. Hashem saw the Jewish people and the difficulty they were in, which means he saw that they were idol worshippers and he realized that he was not going to be able to save them so long as they were continuing to worship Ares. So the first step in the salvation of the Jewish people was that Hashem had to get them away from their idol worshipping. So that's what the Torah says, Vayeda Elohim, that Hashem recognized what needed to happen here. So he sent them Moshe. Moshe went and he announced that Hashem was going to redeem them. And the Torah says, The people now believed in Hashem. They realized that he was going to save them and they were incredibly grateful. So that was the first accomplishment of Moshe that he got them away from the idol worshiping. He got them away from Ares and then they turned back only to believe in Hashem. And that was the necessary precondition for them to be saved. So that's why that was the first step that Hashem put into plan in order to redeem them was to get them away from the idol worshiping. Now, once they were no longer idol worshippers, so that's why the first nine plagues did not affect them because they were innocent at that point. They were not idolaters. And when Hashem sent all of the plagues, so when he sent the blood or the wild animals or killed the animals or the darkness, all of those plagues were sent through messengers and the directions that Hashem gave the messenger was to do it to the idolaters, which were the Egyptians, but not to the Jews who believed in Hashem. So that's how the Jews escaped from the first nine plagues. But when it came to Makas Bechoros, so the situation was different because there Hashem had to actually step in and remove the power of Ares, which was the power of the Egyptians. Everything on earth again is connected with a spiritual power which oversees it. So the Egyptians were governed by Ares and Hashem had to step in that night of Makas Bechoros and completely suspend the power of Ares in order to free the Jewish people. So that night was a more momentous event than any of the earlier plagues precisely because instead of Hashem just sending a messenger to go do a plague, here he had to step in and totally change the natural order and suspend the power of the Egyptians governing constellation of Ares in order to be able to free the Jews. Now, once Hashem suspended the power of Ares completely, so that took away all of the energy of anyone who was connected to that constellation. So that was why the firstborns of the people as well as the animals died. It wasn't a punishment because they had enslaved the Jews. It was simply because their source of energy, which came from Ares, had now been suspended. And as soon as that energy was removed from the world, they immediately died. So the plague of Makas Bechoros was not really a punishment. It was in order to allow the Jews to be able to leave Egypt. So Ares needed to be suspended. And as soon as that happened, anyone connected to him, which was all the firstborns in Egypt, was immediately going to die. And that should have included the Jewish firstborns. First of all, because they're also firstborns, so they are intrinsically connected to Ares. Second of all, because they worshipped him for many years. So when Hashem took all power away from Ares that one night, 
it should have also killed the Jewish firstborns. So the solution to this problem was the Karban Pesach. That's exactly why Hashem commanded the Jews to take the Karban Pesach a few days before Makas Bechoros. And it was a sheep, so that's similar to a ram. So by slaughtering the sheep, the Jews were making a very final declaration that they have nothing whatsoever to do with the Aries worship. And they did it specifically on the days of the month when Aries is more powerful. So they were making a very strong declaration that they now worship Hashem and only Hashem and have nothing to do with the worship or the power of Aries. And that, says the Abarbanel, was the point of putting the blood on the doorposts. It wasn't a sign for the outside world to know that this is a Jewish home. It was a sign for the Jews themselves to remember that they are totally committed now to the worship of the one God. They are no longer interested in anything having to do with the worship of Aries. So because the Jews totally separated themselves from Aries in the days before Makas Bechoros, that's why when the actual night came and the power of Aries was totally suspended and it ceased to exist, but it did not kill the firstborns of the Jews that night because they were no longer connected. Their life energy did not come from Aries anymore, so they survived that night. So this is the Abar Benel's approach to explain what happened at Makas Bechoros. Again, the question was, why would we have ever thought that the firstborns of the Jews would be killed that night? And the answer is because Makas Bechoros was not really a punishment. It was just a fact of nature that once Hashem suspended the very power of Aries that night, so anything that was connected with Aries would wilt and die. That Barbanel quotes that Rashi in his commentary writes that even gods that were made of wood or metal wilted and destructed that night. So this was not a punishment like the other plagues, but it was just a fact of nature that anything connected with Aries completely wilted that night. And that should have included the Jewish firstborns, if not that Hashem had gone to such lengths, specifically using the mitzvah of Karban Pesach, to totally remove the Jews from any connection to Aries, and that's what spared their firstborns. So that explains exactly why the Karban Pesach is the ultimate mitzvah to remember that night, because it reminds us of our total commitment to Hashem, which was exactly what saved the Jewish firstborns on that fateful night. So that's the Abarbanel's approach. Obviously, it's based on some unusual ideas, and it's an unexpected solution to this problem. Now, Rebbe Eliezer Ashkenazi, in his commentary on the Haggadah, Masse Hashem, so he very often deals with the Abarbanel's commentary, and in this case, he questions the Abarbanel's approach for two reasons. First, he asks that the Abarbanel is saying that Makas Bechoros was not a punishment; it was just a fact of nature because the power of Aries was suspended. So the Masse Hashem questions this because we don't find that worshippers of Aries or firstborns elsewhere in the world outside of Egypt were all killed that night. Whereas according to the Abarbanel's theory, anyone that worshipped Ares, all those firstborns, wherever they were in the world that night, should have been killed. So the fact that it only happened in Egypt indicates that it was a punishment specific to the Egyptians for having enslaved the Jewish people. It was not just a fact of nature like the Abarbanel says. So if that's the case, then we're back to the question, why would the Jews have been affected at all when they were innocent? Second, he asks on the Abarbanel that two things happened the night of Makas Bechoros. One is that the firstborns died. In addition, the gods of the Egyptians were struck. Now, 
according to the Abar Benel, those are actually the same thing. The Abar Benel himself said this, that because Hashem suspended the might of Ares, so anything associated with that worship was destroyed on its own. So the firstborns died and all the gods wilted. So that was all the exact same thing. It was a result of the fact that Ares no longer had power. So anything in this world that derived its power from him immediately self-destructed. Whereas the Masse Hashem asks that it sounds like from the Torah that these were actually two different things. Because Hashem says that he's going to kill the Egyptian firstborns and render judgment against the Egyptian gods. So it sounds like these were not the exact same thing, but it was two different things that Hashem did that night. And the Haggadah says this very clearly in the Dayenu song. One of the stanzas is, Ilu If God had rendered judgment against the idols, but not killed the firstborns. So you see that they're two different things, whereas according to the Abar Benel, they would seem to be the result of the same thing. So Rebbe Eliezer Ashkenazi in the Masay Hashem suggests his own approach to answer this question. And in some points, it's similar to the Abar Benel, but in other ways, it's totally different. Now I'm going to modify a little bit what he actually says, because he seems like he's offering two different approaches. But for clarity's sake, I'm going to streamline this and make it all one fuller approach that answers all of the Abar Benel's issues. So I'm not improving on his presentation. Obviously, his presentation is superior, but for clarity's sake, I'm changing this a little bit. And the issue between the two different approaches is a much larger issue, which he also debates with other commentators. And that is who exactly did the plague of Makas Bechoros? Was it Hashem himself or was it Hashem through an intermediary? Did he send an angel or some other force to do this plague? So that's a much larger discussion and there's a lot more to say about this in the commentators and hopefully at some point we'll have a recording on that. But that's the issue that the Masse Hashem begins to deal with and other commentators following him as we'll see pick up on that as well. So the Masse Hashem's approach in our formulation is that there was never any danger to the Jewish firstborn. So there's no concept in Judaism that the Jewish firstborns that night were saved from anything because as the Abar Benel said they were innocent. So of course there was no reason that they should have been killed and the Jews hadn't been affected by any of the earlier plagues. So according to Rabbi Eliezer Ashkenazi, there is no such concept that the Jewish firstborns were in danger that night and they were saved. And he proves this because he says if there was in fact a danger to the firstborns and that's why we eat the Karban Pesach, so only the firstborns who were actually saved should have to eat the Karban Pesach. There's no reason the whole family, everybody has to eat the Karban Pesach when they were not saved, only the firstborns were. So the fact that the Karban Pesach is a mitzvah for everybody, even if they're not firstborns, indicates that it's not only to remember that the firstborns were saved that night. In addition, he says, if there was a danger to the firstborns, why did all of the Jewish families have to put blood on their doorposts? Only the Jewish homes that actually had a firstborn in them should have had to put blood on the doorpost, but everybody else would have been safe. So why do we find in the Torah that every Jewish family, even if no firstborn lived there, had to put blood on their doorpost? So based on these questions, he shows that there was never any danger or concern that any of the Jewish firstborns would be killed that night. Now, this raises the question, so then why are 
are the Jewish firstborns sanctified if they were not saved that night? So again, the Masay Hashem says it has nothing to do with the Jewish firstborns being saved that night. And again, he asks a similar question. If the sanctity of the Jewish firstborns comes from the fact that they were saved that night, so that should only apply to the first generation of Jewish firstborns who were actually in Egypt and who were actually physically saved. But the subsequent generations of Jewish firstborns would have no reason to be sanctified because they themselves were not saved. So the fact that there's sanctity for all of Jewish history on the firstborns indicates that it's not because the firstborns were saved, but it has to do with a different reason. And this is similar to what the Abarbanel says. He quotes that the Ramban in his commentary on the Torah makes a similar comment that the way Hashem killed the firstborns was by removing the life force that they were connected with. So similar to what the Abarbanel said, that Hashem removed the power of Ares. So the Ramban explains that's what the Torah means when it says that Hashem attacked the gods of the Egyptians, meaning he removed the spiritual life force, the energy that they were connected to, so that destroyed the physical gods that they had here. Now, Rebbe Eliezer Ashkenazi himself suggests a different explanation of this. He says that any child that was born in Egypt under the constellation of Aries, so around Nisan time, was considered a god, even if they were not a firstborn. So the way he understands what the Torah is saying, very interestingly, is that the firstborns were killed, as well as any child who had been born under the Aries constellation who was worshipped as a god. So those are the two categories of things that Hashem attacked that night. But either way, what he's saying is that once Hashem removed the life force of Aries, so the Jewish firstborns were also affected by that because they were connected to Aries, as the Abarbanel discussed. So the Jewish firstborns also lost some of their energy that night. Not that their lives were in danger, but they minimized their energy. So that's why Hashem said that he's going to sanctify them in order to replenish the energy that they lost because he weakened the Aries constellation. So unlike the Abarbanel who says that it was a weakening for just one night, according to Rebbe Yezer Ashkenazi, once Aries was weakened, the firstborns, every firstborn, even the Jewish firstborns, lost some of their energy and Hashem replenished that by sanctifying them. So the sanctification of the firstborns was not because because their lives had been spared in Egypt that night, but it was because they lost some of the spiritual energy that came from Ares. So Hashem himself now replaced it by giving them an extra dose of energy by sanctifying them. So that's how he understands this whole concept. According to Rabbi Eliezer Ashkenazi, unlike the Abarbanel, there is no idea that the Jewish firstborns were ever in danger and were spared that night. So if that's the case, what does it mean in the Haggadah that the Karban Pesach is because he skipped over the homes of the Jews and he spared them that night. So he suggests a totally different approach. And this is based on the idea that Hashem himself did not do makas bechoros. He did it through an angel or a messenger. And the Gemara in Babakama Samach Hamad Aleph has a phrase that kivan shenitan reshus lemashchis eno mavchin ben tzadikim l'rishayim. Once the angel of death is given permission to go ahead and kill people, so there's a large pandemic or a plague, the angel of death 
death does not discern between the righteous and the wicked, meaning he's not that careful about who he kills. And sometimes even the righteous get killed, even though they didn't deserve to, because they get swept up in what's going on. So that would be an explanation for those who perished in the Holocaust, even though they may have been fully righteous and of course did not deserve what happened to them. But since the angel of death had permission to kill, so he's not that careful and sometimes even the righteous are killed. And that's how the Gemara explains why the Jews were told not to leave their homes on the night of Makas Bechoros, because even though they didn't deserve to die, and even if they weren't a firstborn at all, but being outside of their homes on that dangerous night could have been dangerous because they may have been killed by the angel of death accidentally. So the way we're formulating the Masay Hashem, what he's trying to say is that everyone was in danger that night, not just the Jewish firstborns. There was no specific reason that the Jewish firstborns would have been killed that night, but anyone could have been killed on such a dangerous night because the angel of death was given free reign to go kill people, so everyone's lives were in danger. So the fact that the Jews were spared, meaning that Hashem protected them from the angel of death that night, and he skipped him over the Jewish homes, so everybody has to be grateful to Hashem for saving their lives that night. So basically, the Masay Hashem undercuts a lot of the Abarbanel's assumptions because first of all, he says that the Jewish firstborns were not in special danger. In fact, everyone was in danger, whether Jewish or Egyptian, whether firstborn or not, because once the angel of death comes out to kill people, everybody's in danger. And so there is no special concept that the Jewish firstborns were saved, but there is an idea that Hashem protected every Jew from being killed that night, and therefore we have to give thanks. So that's his approach, again, the way we modified and streamlined it. Now, there are two later Haggadahs which deal a lot with the Abar Benel and Rebbe Eliezer Ashkenazi's commentaries, and that's the Birkas Ashir from Rabbi Arya Leib Tzuntz and the Masa Nisim from Rabbi Yaakov Loberbaum, the famous author of the Nesivus on Choshen Mishpat and the Chavos Das on Yeridea, and a bunch of other Sfarim. So he wrote a lot and wrote a lot of very important Sfarim, and he wrote a commentary on the Haggadah called Masa Nisim. So both the Birkas Ashir and the Masa Nisim deal with the approach of the Masa Hashem, and they ask a couple of questions. The Masa Nisim takes issue with the idea that Makas Bechoros was done through an angel and not through Hashem himself, as we'll see in a moment. The Birkas Ashir asks other questions, one of which is that earlier the Haggadah itself said that in each plague there was a Mishlachas Malachi Ra'im. There was a band of evil angels that came with that plague to do harm to the Egyptians. So that means that in each of the earlier nine plagues, there was a group of evil angels causing trouble. So if that's the case, we're back to our question. Why is it not considered a significant miracle that the Jews were saved from all of the 10 plagues because all of them had bad angels running around who might have potentially harmed even righteous people? So that's an interesting question on the Masay Hashem's approach. The Masanisim also asks an interesting question, which is that elsewhere the Gemara tells that there was a pandemic, many people were dying, but in the neighborhood of Rav, nobody died because since someone so righteous was there, he protected the whole neighborhood. So that seems to imply that even when the angel of death is running around killing people, he still protects the innocent. He does not accidentally kill people. So there seems to be some contradiction between these Gemaras. One says that during a time of plague, 
plague, even the innocent are at risk. And the other says that even so, the innocent won't be affected. Now, you could differentiate that a whole neighborhood could be protected because it's not that hard to keep the angel of death out of a specific neighborhood as opposed to differentiating between specific people mingling together, which is much harder. So this is a very interesting debate as to whether in times of tremendous death, righteous people are safe or not. Now, the Birkas Hashir and the Masa Nisim both offer solutions to this problem, which are variations of the Masay Hashem's idea. So the Birkas Hashir suggests that unlike the Masay Hashem, who said that Makas Bechoros was done through a messenger, an angel that Hashem sent, according to the Birkas Hashir, it was done a little bit differently. And that is that in general, every person has a mazel, some sort of constellation or order of events which governs their life. So everyone has a way that their life is supposed to proceed. Now, what Hashem did the night of Makas Bechoros was he altered the mazel of the firstborns of Egypt. So instead of it being for life, and many of these people were healthy, they should have lived for many more years according to their mazel, but Hashem instead supernaturally altered it so that now their mazel indicated that they would die that night. So this was a major change in the whole natural order that people who were healthy and had many more years of life had their mazel changed that night. Now that process of altering the mazel also could have affected the Jews because the Jewish firstborns were now also in danger because basically Hashem unleashed in the world that night that the mazel of healthy firstborns could shift and it could now read that this person was going to die. So in fact, the Jewish firstborns were in danger that night because since the mazels were all getting messed up for the firstborns, theirs could have easily also read that they were going to die and therefore Hashem stepped in and protected them so that was a great miracle and that's what we commemorate with the Karban Pesach. So that answers the question, why were the Jewish firstborns in danger that night when they were innocent and the Jews hadn't been affected by any of the other plagues because Makas Bechoros was done differently in that the mazel was changed and once you start altering things like that in the world, so then the Jews actually were in danger. So that's the Birkas Hashir's approach. It does have some similarities with the Abarbanel's idea that since Hashem suspended the might of Aries that night, so the firstborn Jews were also in danger, but it comes at it from a totally different approach. Now, the Masa Nisim also has a variation of this idea, and he suggests the exact opposite of the Masa Hashem. The Masa Hashem said that the danger for the Jewish firstborns was because Makas Bechoros happened through an angel and not through Hashem himself, who would have, of course, been able to discern exactly who was Egyptian and who was Jewish. The Masa Nisim suggests the exact opposite idea. He says that the earlier nine plagues were done through angels, through messengers, whereas Makas Bechoros was unique in that Hashem himself did the plague. And that explains why the Jewish firstborns were in danger during Makas Bechoros. Because when it comes to the messengers of Hashem, so then the righteous are able to control them. We find many examples in the Gemara of righteous people who control nature. They're able to to dictate the laws of nature and change them. 
Because that's how Hashem created nature that the righteous should have power over it. But of course, when it comes to Hashem himself, so of course, no one can dictate to him. Nobody can stop him from doing anything he wants at any time. The righteous have no power over Hashem. So that explains exactly the difference between the first nine plagues and Makas Bechoros. When the plagues came through a messenger, so the Jews were safe because since they were righteous, they were able to stop those messengers from affecting them. But Makas Bechoros, which was done by Hashem himself, so nobody would be able to stop him in any way. And since the Jews had committed idolatry many years in Egypt, so the firstborns did deserve to be punished. And since this was the first plague that came about through Hashem himself, so the firstborns were in real danger. And the fact that Hashem saved them was a great miracle. And that's what we commemorate with the Karban Pesach. So the Masanisim's approach to this is the opposite of the Masay Hashem that since Makas Bechoros was unique, that Hashem did it by himself. So that's why the Jewish firstborns were in danger. And that's why we commemorate their salvation. Now we'll see that there's two other commentators who suggest the same approach as the Masa Nisim, but they add very important ideas to it. The first is the Hasidic Rebbe, Reb Simcha Bunim of Pshischa, in his Sefer Kol Simcha and Parshas Bo. And the second is an unbelievable approach from the Maharal in his Sefer Gvuros Hashem chapter 60 where he's discussing the Haggadah. So we'll see the very important ideas that they both add. Reb Simcha Bunim has an amazing formulation of this idea and he asks the same question which is what's so special about the fact that the Jewish firstborn survived when in general Hashem was punishing the Egyptians and not the Jews. So he explains that Makas Bechoros was different from the earlier nine plagues. Ki Makas Bechoros Hayal Asher Hu Rishon. The essence of Makas Bechoros was not that Hashem went ahead and did anything to kill the firstborns. It was only that Hashem revealed himself and Hashem is the essence of what it means to be first. So in this tremendous revelation of the actual first of the universe, So anything else which was called first was immediately nullified. So basically, because Hashem revealed himself and the actual concept of firstness was revealed in the world, so anything else that's called first was immediately nullified at that moment, and that's why the Egyptian firstborns died. So like the Abar Benel said, this was not a punishment because they enslaved the Jews. It was just the fact of the world that when Hashem, the essence of all firstness, reveals himself, so anyone else that goes by the title first is going to immediately be nullified. And Reb Chabunim says that's why even the innocent Egyptian firstborns died that night. So the firstborns of the slave families or the captives, these were people that had not enslaved the Jews. They were innocent, but they still died that night because in the revelation of Hashem's firstness, anything else that's first was destroyed. So that explains why the Jewish firstborns, even though they were innocent, were in danger that night of also being obliterated. Now, how in fact did they survive? So Rabbi Simcha Bunim explains that's why Hashem took the Jews to be his. Because since they belonged to him, so therefore they were able to survive this moment of revelation. So that's how Reb Simcha Bunim formulates this approach. And he adds this very important idea that Hashem did not kill the firstborns. He merely revealed himself and that destroyed anything else that's considered first in the world. Now the Maharal has an unbelievable formulation of this whole idea. And he begins with this basic question. Why would we have ever thought that the Jewish firstborns would be killed?
killed in Makas Bechoros. And he suggests a similar approach to the one we've been going through, which is that he says each of the Makos intensifies. So they're getting more and more extreme. So that's why the first nine, it wasn't so significant that the Jews were not affected by them. But the last one, Makas Bechoros, which was done by Hashem himself. So that's the most extreme, intense of the plagues. So there the Jews actually were in danger. They should have been affected by that plague. So the fact that the Jews survived Makas Bechoros is a much bigger deal than that they survived the earlier nine. So now the question becomes how in fact did the Jews survive Makas Bechoros? Why were they not in fact affected by Hashem swooping into Egypt and killing all the firstborns? So the Maharal explains because since the Jews belonged to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, since Hashem took them to be his people, so therefore they were able to survive. And that's the concept of the Karban Pesach, says the Maharal. The reason the Jews only survived Makas Bechoros because of the Karban Pesach is because what does it mean to be Hashem's? The meaning of it is to serve Hashem. So through the Karban Pesach, the Jews reaffirmed that they serve Hashem, which means that they belong to Hashem, and that's how they were able to survive Makas Bechoros. Now, the word Pesach, as we said, means to skip over, but the Maharal adds that there's another meaning to the word, which is to have mercy. So the Karban Pesach is what brings down the mercy of Hashem to save the Jewish people because through doing the Karban Pesach, they belong to him. And based on this, the Maharal explains the Pesach. It says, You should eat the Karban quickly. It's the Pesach to Hashem. So this seems totally unconnected. What does the fact that this Karban is called a Pesach have anything to do with the fact that they should eat it quickly as they're running out of Egypt? So the Maharal explains that the Torah is emphasizing this point, that since it's the Karban Pesach, it's the sacrifice that brings the mercy of Hashem, so the Jews should eat it in order to leave Egypt. And there's an interesting point Rabbi Hartman quotes in his footnotes from the Klechemda, that even though the regular mitzvah of Karban Pesach includes not only eating the Karban Pesach, but also bringing it and sacrificing it in the Beis HaMikdash, so for most years, the mitzvah of Karban Pesach includes the eating as well as the process of sacrificing. But in the Torah, when it describes the first Karban Pesach in Egypt, it makes no reference to the sacrificing or the organizing of it. The only element of the mitzvah that the Torah mentions is the eating of it. So it sounds like that first Karban Pesach, the entirety of the mitzvah was the eating of it. So based on that, the Maharal explains what the Pesach is saying, that they should eat this Karban Pesach and do the mitzvah that Hashem is giving them in order to merit his mercy, the Pesach, and that way they'll be able to leave Egypt. It's through performing this mitzvah of Karban Pesach that the mercy of Hashem is going to get them out of Egypt. So now the Maharal continues to build on this. And he says, if the point of the Karban Pesach is that Hashem is choosing the Jewish people to be his people at this moment, and through that they're going to survive Makas Bechoros. So that also leads to another major theme, which is the oneness of Hashem himself. 
Because the reason Hashem chooses one nation to be his people is a reflection of his own oneness. If there were multiple gods, so then there would be multiple chosen nations. The fact that there's one chosen nation indicates that Hashem himself is singular, that there is no other god. So the theme of the Karban Pesach now becomes not only that the Jews are the chosen people, but also that there is only one God in the world. And now says the Maharal that if you look through the rules of the Karban Pesach, many of them center on this theme of oneness. So the Maharal has an unbelievable explanation for the detailed halachas of the Karban Pesach. And he points out that the Pasuk in Shmos 12.9 says that they had to eat it rosho al kroav v'al kirbo. They had to eat the head and the legs and the insides all roasted together. So they were not allowed to split up the animal and cook it separately. They had to cook it all and eat it all together. So this is an example of the oneness. They couldn't split up the animal into multiple parts. It had to be kept together. Likewise, the Pasuk in Shmos 1246 says that they had to eat it in one house. So the whole group had to be in one house. Again, it's a way of emphasizing the oneness that the group eating the carbon Pesach could not be split up. Also, the Pasuk in Shmos 12.5 says that the animal had to be a set tamim ben shana, a one-year-old lamb. So again, there's the number one. It could not be a two-year-old. It had to be a one-year-old to emphasize the oneness of Hashem. And the Maharal adds that a lamb is considered a more connected, a more unified animal because it's small than larger animals. The Medrash says that the Jews are compared to a lamb because just like a lamb, if one of its limbs get hurt, the rest of the body feels it. So too the Jews, if one Jew sins, the rest of the Jews feel it. So you see that the lamb is considered a more unified oneness animal than larger animals. So that's why a one-year-old lamb had to be used for the Karban Pesach. And based on this, the Maharal explains why it had to be a male animal, not a female, but it's a little convoluted. But now the Maharal explains one of the major halachas of the Karban Pesach. The Torah says that it could not be cooked. It had to be roasted. So it could not be cooked like a soup in a pot of water. It had to be roasted directly on the fire. And it also could not be undercooked. So it couldn't be rare meat. It had to be fully cooked through on the fire. So the Maharal explains that the reason for this is because something which is cooked in a pot of water gets split up. It gets divided. Whereas something which is roasted maintains its oneness. It's all cooked together on the fire. And in fact, it actually becomes more of a one because the fire removes the liquid and it solidifies the whole animal together. So the roasted was another detail to emphasize the oneness of the Karban Pesach rather than cooking it in a pot of soup, which would have divided the animal. The roasting reinforced that this whole animal is one. It removes the liquids and it leaves a very solid animal together, which again points to the oneness of Hashem. And that's why it also couldn't be undercooked because if it wasn't cooked fully, then the liquid wouldn't have been taken out of the piece of meat. So in order to create the full oneness of the animal, it had to be roasted through and through and not rare meat.
And finally, this explains the detail that the Jews were not allowed to break any of the bones of the Karban Pesach, even though they were eating the meat, but they were prohibited from breaking the bones. And again, that's because breaking the bones would create multiple parts of the animal, whereas we want it all left together in oneness as much as possible. And now the Maharal references what he wrote earlier, that the Torah said to slaughter the Karban Pesach at noon, and the explanation is because noon is a time unto itself. It doesn't belong to the day before and it doesn't belong to the following day. It's a singular time that stands by itself. So the purpose of the Torah saying to slaughter the Karban Pesach at noon is to show that Hashem is by himself. He doesn't belong to any other entity. He's his own independent being and the time that's the equivalent of that is noon. So again, the Karban Pesach points to the oneness of Hashem. And finally, the Maharal says, that's why the Torah said that the Karban Pesach should be eaten with matzah and maror because there's people who think that one God can only do one action in the world. So there's some good gods, there's bad gods, there's gods of rain, there's gods of sun, there's gods of metal. Each God has their own task. They don't believe that one God could be doing all the multiplicity of things that we find in the world. So that's why we eat the matzah and the maror together with the Karban Pesach because the matzah symbolizes the freedom, the maror symbolizes the slavery, and by eating them together with the Karban Pesach, we're showing that they all came from the one God. So this is the Maharal's stunningly beautiful analysis of the Karban Pesach, what its larger theme is, and how that explains many of its detailed commandments that they all have help to create this tapestry that shows the oneness of God and his total power over the world. So that's the Maharal's beautiful analysis that once the Jews performed the mitzvah of Karban Pesach, which illustrates God's absolute oneness, so they were chosen as his people, and through that they merited leaving Egypt and surviving Makas Bechoros.